When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of your favorite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I hope everyone's well. I hope you're doing fine. Uh, it's just, yeah, we're doing the right thing. We're staying at home. We're saving lives. That's what we're doing. Got to remember that. Yeah, I forget that sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I'm locked in again. But you have to be. We have to be to save lives. Um, this week, I was joined by the brilliant writer and comedian uh, Gareth Joyner, who is the man behind the character uh, Myra Dubois. And Myra Dubois, larger than life character. And Gareth... Uh, happily agreed to come on and be a guest on the show, which was lovely. And uh, again, there'll be there be might be some there might be some glitches, there might be this, there might be that. But because we, we're doing all this remotely, I'm in my flat. Producer Paul is in his uh, mansion on the hill with his moat and his castle and all that shit. I've got my yacht sailing around it. It's got his yacht sailing around it, full of supplies. <laughs> sailing around my moat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the all the tea and flour that he could find. Um, and Gareth is obviously in his he's in his abode, so it's all we're we're linking up via the internet, which isn't always great. You know, we're doing our best, uh, so bear with us if, if, if there's a few clicks and pings and and voices go a bit weird here and there. But producer Paul is slogging his guts out to give you the best quality uh, podcast that he can. So well done, producer Paul. You're really working your working your knob off. I want to say, but that's weird. Okay, so without further ado, let's have Gareth Joiner. Thanks, Gareth, for coming on. Are you well? I'm all right, love. Um, although that's, I've noticed that's a standard answer. Um, I, I'm, I'm slightly yeah. aware that uh, doing a, agreeing to do a podcast about your own mental health in the middle of a global pandemic <laughs> is either the worst time to do it or the best time to do it. So <laughs> yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean, mate. I know what you mean. But I tell you what has been happening the last couple of days. I've had. I was I had complete despair. Yeah. Everything I did seemed futile. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just buried myself under the duvet mm. and didn't want to do anything. But then today I've made phone calls, I've spoken to people and I already feel a million times better. So It's weird, isn't it? I think we're so uh, yeah. we're so out of touch with the the things that control us that it feels like it's happening um at, at random. It feels like there's no rhyme or logic to our moods, but of course like everything affects it. So um so like the set like the other day so I've been saying to people, "No, I'm fine." I mean, you know, there's some uncertainty in the future, but I'm immediately I'm fine in myself. And then I went to bed on Saturday night and had a good old panic attack in bed. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh no, I'm not all right. Oh no." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, so I, I completely get what you mean. But um today's all right. Yeah. I've just spent an hour cooking a, a spaghetti bolognese and there's something about I think our minds must be coped in a way that uh little tasks that take up your immediate attention I can do. So I can cook, I can listen to music, but I can't read a book or watch a film. I haven't got the attention span for it. Yeah, I know what you mean. We've we've because there's uh, myself, Jade, my partner, as you yeah. know, and we've got uh, another friend of ours, Paul, staying with us as well. And we have to collectively go right. Let's watch a film. Yeah. Otherwise, we kind of splinter off and and yeah, and lock ourselves away in our own sort of darkness. It's funny, isn't it? Um, and watching a film is supposed is funny, to be like yeah. the easiest thing to do. You just sit down and you look at a screen, but I like pause it and oh, I've got to do this and I've got. A... I tried to sit in the garden the other day and I couldn't for any prolonged period of time. As soon as I plant my ass down, I'd go, "Oh no!" But I've left that thing in the kitchen and now I need to go and get. And I was just com- totally frantic and, you know, I, oh, I don't know. Yeah, don't know what's controlling it. Are you like that anyway? 
No, not really. My my capacity to relax is unrivaled. I can, uh, <laughs> as, uh, I, I'm pretty, I think even in a school report, a teacher once wrote, uh, if Gareth was any more laid back, he'd be horizontal. So, um, so it's always, I'm always pretty um, laid back, uh, bordering on lazy. I think um, I, th- I yeah, think right. laid back is just lazy with a bit of personality. So I uh, I think that's what yeah <laughs> yeah laid back with yeah with atti- yeah lazy with attitude yeah that's it yeah, yeah. so um, <laughs> so no I'm usually so I'm not usually like that and also I've really thrown myself at, um, doing live stream shows. I did one uh, I did one within the first week of lockdown just to kind of like get a flavour for it and see if there was an appetite for it and see if uh, my, you know, my fan base, to, for want of a less grand yeah. term, would um, <laughs> would jump on board. And um, and then I've really made it my mission to do one every week and then do streams that other people ask me to do and make video for other people's shows. And, uh, and so I've been waking up in the morning and um, getting ready, moving furniture around, recording, streaming. And, they, and I think that's why I had that little panic attack on Saturday because I've not stopped. And I think, um, I think I was going and going and going in some sort of attempt to have control or a say over what happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all lost our work within like 20 minutes. Fuck. And it, yeah, there was a, there, suddenly there was a, a mad panic to do stuff yeah. and we were all like shit we need all we've got left is online quickly we must put things out online and yeah and i think there was that i think we've all kind of chilled out a bit now we've gone a bit like i just i just want i just want it i want to go out yeah i want to i want to see people and i want to yeah i think we've all kind of chilled out a little bit and I- but we've got our heads around it as well i've done more i've done i think i've been I've done more online than I've ever done. And it's, it's really... F- actually, I quite enjoy it. It's yeah. forced me to... It's like I was saying, um, probably won't get included in the podcast, but at the beginning of this, when we were trying to figure out the microphones, it's really strong-armed me into um, getting to grips with technology that I've always been very... You know, I've, I, I just... I, I enjoy the live work. I like being on a stage and having an audience. Yeah. And anything that has smelt of creating content for online has never, never interested me. And now all of a sudden it's all there is. So it's kind right. of wrestling me into the 21st century while we're already two decades into it. <laughs> well, I'm really lucky because I've got Jade because she's actually, she's the one been guiding, been guiding us because yeah. I'd be fucked on my own. I'd be, I'd be just, I don't know what I'd do. Just be staring at myself wondering where all the gigs are going. Jade's very online though, isn't she? Because I remember Jade was like into Vine yeah. like no one else has ever been into Vine. She was Vining everything. Like uh, if you if you walked into a room and Jade was there with a, a device in her hand, she was vining something. So like Jade is very online oriented, but I'm I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I to, I'm the same as you. Yeah. It's taken me this epic thing to to go right now. You've got to do it. All right, fine, fine. I'll do it. Then. I know. Yeah. Um. It's, but you grew up in Rotherham. Is that I did, right? Yeah. In uh, Rotherham, South Yorkshire. Uh, I know. I only know it because I do uh, uh, the Last Laugh comedy. Uh, gigs there for Toby Foster. Oh, really? And yeah, they put us up in a house uh, just outside Rotherham or in Rotherham um, in a little village. I can't remember what the village is called now, but it's a beautiful place. Oh, it's, it's Yorkshire. A... I've got. A... Uh, there, there are two Yorkshires, and there is beautiful, tranquil Yorkshire that inspires poetry and soap operas, and then there is um, concrete, awful, racist Yorkshire, which inspires the yes. National Front, and um, wow. yeah, it's a breeding ground in the recent years for the EDL and the EDL marches that shut down the town centre Saturdays for the last couple of years. It's um, you know there's a real uh, rise of the far right in Rotherham. So like when oh when God. I say, oh, I'm from Yorkshire, people think, you know, flat caps and dripping. But um, no, it was all it was all <laughs> National Front graffiti and, and council houses. <laughs> so it was very, very different. Wow. Yeah. And um, there was this, uh, there's this, I can't remember the name of the fella who wrote Kestrel for a Knave. What was, what was he called? Oh, I don't know. Um, anyway, anyway don't know, so that's it. You know, Kez, it's set in Doncaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, it's set in Doncaster. And he said, said something like, there's a curious landscape to Yorkshire where the rural meets the urban. And it's um, it's a really spot on quote that sums up the, the landscape. Yeah, that's there. really true. It's, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Go on, so, sorry. I was going to say, um, so I'll just Google it for you. Kestrel for a Knave, a novel by English author Barry Hines. That's it, Barry Hines. Barry Hines. There you go. Little uh, the, again. Thanks, the Paul. Positives <laughs> of the internet proving it's worth already. Oh, well, it, um, that's 
that's the image of of um, Yorkshire that we were that was portrayed down here. It was that like Cares yeah. and Rita Sue and Bob Two. That sort. That of is a bit more accurate. Thing. I only saw Rita Sue and Bob Two in later life. I mean, like two years ago. So um, yeah, oh, really? so it was uh, astounding how. But when I was in, when I was uh, about ten, they made the Full Monty the film. And um, they right. cast a local kid as his son, Robert Carlyle's son. And I think okay. it must it must have happened in every school in South Yorkshire. But every kid in every school in South Yorkshire was claiming that they auditioned for that role, and I didn't. And <laughs> I was so jealous. I thought everyone had an avenue into Hollywood that I didn't have. And uh, oh my, <laughs> fuming. Did you find it? Because where you? Like, when did Myra come to be? Uh, Myra, um, so Myra came into being in around 2000 and... My memory's sketchy. She first set foot on a stage in 2018, but she existed within my mind for about a year to two years prior to that. So, um, okay. yeah, I went to... Um, I've, I've told this story so many times, so I've, got, I've gotten it down to a fine art of the headlines. But um, I went to a fancy dress party dressed as Myra Hindley. And uh, okay. <laughs> my friend went to a fancy dress party as Rose West when we were 19. And, um, you know, wow. shock for shock's sake. And, of um, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and after that, we sort of, the, the name stuck on as a sort of nickname for each other. So I always called him Rose and he called me Myra. And then we started anecdotally sort of fleshing out these characters, not on purpose. We just sort of, I'd say, oh, what's Rose being up to? And Richie would say, oh, she's won a tenner on a scratch card. So she's gone to Ingemel's with the kids for the weekend. What's Myra up to? And I'd say, oh, she's been down the club all weekend singing. And these two sort of personalities <laughs> emerged that were quite far removed from their uh, infanticidal counterparts and they um <laughs> and then i moved to london uh, in 2008 to go to university for the second time I'd, uh, i've been to uni twice and dropped out twice so twice university okay. attendant graduated from neither of them so depends who i'm talking why was that you just oh didn't feel like yeah that's why that's why we're on here <laughs> yeah um, um you just weren't feeling it oh then. it's just school is like so i went to um well i was sort of on a back foot from the beginning because i went to a comprehensive school and you know no one cares about them and then i left the comprehensive school halfway through it because my parent moved to uh, manchester and uh, and then I went to a, a technology college. So I, I I kind of gone from the school that no one cares. Every school I've ever been to has since been shut down or rebranded. <laughs> so uh, yeah, same, yeah. same. <laughs> so um, so by the t so I didn't really have a, a a good firm educational grounding. And by the time university came round, I went to university just because that's what kids are groomed to do. It seems um, it right in two thousand and five. So I went to college, did my A levels, and there was never any. I went. I spoke to careers advisors and said, "Oh, I want to be an actor. I want to. I want to be an entertainer. I, I. I enjoy magic. I enjoy, you know, all show business." And and I, it was sort of denounced as a valid career path. It, it was. I remember one parents' evening, a teacher saying to me, "It's an oversubscribed profession. You've got to train in something else and then go to acting after," which is such shit advice it was like yeah, oh spend God. 10 years learning something else and then throw that out the window to go and be an actor and it's because it's 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 also kind of disrespectful to the profession of actors saying oh anyone can do it <laughs> like you've still got to train yeah. and learn yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah yeah so i got so I, by the time university came around i just picked one because i thought oh, i'll be a journalist that's what i told myself i'd be so i've just I oh, picked right. one that was in London because I've wanted to live in London as, ever since I saw Oliver. Um, although Brilliant. to anyone listening, Lond contemporary London is not like Dickensian London as through the eyes of Lionel Bart's new. New. It's a very unforgiving place. Yeah. Isn't it? it doesn't care if you can keep No, up. no one sings either. It I was sings. promised songs. So, <laughs> so um, of, course. of course. So anyway, uh, so I moved to London. I went to Kingston and did English literature and creative writing, uh, two academic courses, and I was shit at those. So I dropped out of that and went to work uh, in Marks and Spencers as a visual merchandiser on the knicker stand at Medrall. And um, nice. Yeah. And then um, after that, uh, I went to St Martin's, Central St Martin's. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, to do uh, right. Let me I'll say this in one breath: 
communication, criticism, and curation in art and design. Wow. <laughs> wow. There's a look. Basically, it was just talking about art and not actually doing it. And, and I was still itching to do it. So... Anyway, to put these two sort of anecdotes together, I was uh, I moved to London to the second time for the second time for St Martin's, and I saw a um, I saw an advert on MySpace uh, for Madame Jojo's in Soho. They had a, an open mic. Oh, yeah, I know. yeah. They had yeah. An, an open mic night called Finger in the Pie Cabaret, and they were just looking for acts to do ting, ten minute routines. So I thought, um, oh, I'm going to see if this Myra works on stage. So I wrote 10 minutes of her. I gave her more context. I kind of had this kind of sort of backstory that she was a former star looking to make a comeback. And it was all a bit tenuous. And um, But I, I did it. I wrote 10 minutes, went out, did it. And um, all of a sudden, something like clicked into place. Like I was on stage and, and I'd never done stand up before. Um, really? Yeah, so I'd never done comedy outside before doing Myra. I was in amateur dramatics when I was, you know, a kid, and uh, I host. Okay. I worked in a bar for a bit, and I hosted their pub quiz once or twice. But I'd never done anything disciplined like stand up, and um, wow. I just took to it really naturally. Like I just sort of, it just felt right. I knew where to stand and where to look at the audience and how to sort of hold them. Do you know what I mean? And and yeah, um, yeah. And so after that, I was like, fuck, right, okay, so I'll see what happens. And then they invited me back uh, the next month to do another sort of open 10. And then uh, at the, the next month, they offered me the job of hosting it. So I uh, oh, yeah, wow. so I hosted that for a year, which was really great training and grounding for just sort of um, letting the character breathe and develop and... Uh, yeah, yeah, and and then it just sort of snowballed from there. So like Myra was um, a real sort of uh, she was sort of birthed out of chaos in, in a sort of way. Like uh, there was no, which is perfect for Myra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very chaotic act. I did a live stream the other day. So she, so Myra does a version of Defying Gravity that's become quite popular with her legions of fans right. that she calls the admirers. And um, <laughs> basically, it's just the song. But then at the end of it, she ties a bin bag round her neck and jumps on a chair. And uh, <laughs> that's it. There's nothing clever to it. And then um, I did it on my live stream the other day because people have been requesting it. But then I knocked over the tripod and I spent the rest of the song going, oh, shit, fuck, fuck's sake, shit. And, uh, and then and everyone... But people love yeah, that Yeah, everyone well. was commenting, going, oh, my God, it's like it's live, uh, which it was. But, you know, they said it brought that energy <laughs> of a live show into into the live stream. Excellent. Well, that's that's what people seem to be digging online is more interactive stuff which is again goes back to what like we're learning new yeah. skills being more interactive online did you feel when you were on stage as Myra did you feel did you feel like you did you feel sort of safe because you weren't you weren't being Gareth you're being yeah I mean somebody yeah, else obviously like it's an armor um yeah. and you know I've only ever I've been I've been on stage as Myra for 12 years this year so it's 12 years since Myra this year my other character Frank right. I've been doing since 2014 uh, much, le much less frequently um but the very first time I ever set foot on a stage as myself was last year at the fringe and uh, my, yeah really? my friend um Alice and Miranda um they do two um what was it two girls one cup of comedy you know that night uh, the Oh I yeah. know yeah yeah they yeah. do that night and they text me and they said can Myra host tonight and I said oh I'm, I'm really sorry I've taken the costume off I'm going home and they said well, what about Frank and I said oh, I, haven't, I haven't got the costume with me I didn't bring him up to Edinburgh this year and they said we're really stuck for a host we can't get anyone so I said oh well, fuck it I'll do it so um, so I went wow. and hosted a stand-up night and I felt so vulnerable. Like, I, I, I can't <laughs> tell you. And Myra's, Myra's stock and trade is really... I mean, I don't like the term insult comic. I think it's a very American term and it's a sort of... It's, you yeah, know, it, yeah. but... Um, but if, you know, for want of a better description, her stock and trade is insults. The audience come in, she's awful to them for an hour and then they leave. That's it, you know. And She is brutal. Yeah, she is brutal. And somehow, um, when you put the costume on and the voice and the, the personality and you adopt the persona... You, you you're given more leeway whereas if just just course, me yeah. as um little doughy white male me just tells an audience <laughs> that they're cunts people just go well who's that little arsehole <laughs> so it doesn't <laughs> i don't have i don't seem to have the same license and even with frank um uh, you know again people i think by looking at someone in a costume that is slightly um pantomimic you know it's heightened reality it's a cartoon 
I think yeah. it signals to them that this isn't real. Go with me on it. Play along, you know, and... Absolutely, uh, yeah. There's a lot of subconscious stuff going. Yeah. Like when when you walk out dressed as Maya and people go, oh, okay, yeah, I see what yeah, this totally. is. I see what we're doing. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. But apparently yeah. I, I learned at the last Fringe that um, the, the people coming to my shows have started, there's like a little elbowing for the front row that goes on in the queue. And that's usually <laughs> that's usually the opposite of what happens. People are like, oh, don't sit me at the front. Oh, I don't want picking. Oh, absolutely, but yeah. But there's some sort of like, I don't know, I'm just getting these sadomasochistic audience members that like come to my shows and they're like, oh, do you remember? And they all think I can remember them as well. Like, because I always, oh, I always greet the audience after, <laughs> uh. so I always stand and pose for photos and things with them as Myra, and um, and so I chat to them, and they'll be like, "Oh, do you remember last year when you said this to me?" And I'm looking at them like, "No, oh, God. no, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> I've done a, I've done a thousand gigs since yeah, then. I'm really yeah. sorry. Probably yeah. using the same lines right. that they think were ad libs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the, I've seen that a couple of times where people have gone, "Oh, I thought oh, I thought you made that, yeah. that up." And you go, <laughs> Yeah, I did once, and then it <laughs> and then it got a laugh, and that's addictive. So I did it again. It... <laughs> but did you did you ever have any inkling when you were growing up that you were going to do something like oh, this? Oh, the just signs were there. Kind of happened. Yeah, I uh, yeah. yeah, the signs were there. They um, I was so into dress up and fancy dress and costume, like um, like we did. Oh, yeah, really? it's only in like I, I as I say this now. Not that I'm starting by apologizing for it but um like it's only been in the last 10 years that i've realized how little money there was when i was growing up and it's only been by uh, talking to um other adults you know in, in late life and a yeah. really weird signifier of this has been disney plus because like i'll talk to people and i'll go oh i'm watching the aristocats i've never seen it and someone will go oh my god how was the aristocats not in your childhood and i'm like mate disney videos were 20 quid each and that was in 1993 yeah. And like, <laughs> I had Pinocchio. That, yeah, exactly. I had Pinocchio that was taped off the telly. I had Peter Pan that was a pirate video. And I used to get Mary Poppins out the library for free at the weekends. That was it. So it's only being like yeah. now that you look back and you go, "Fuck, we were poor." But at the time, <laughs> at the time, you don't know it because you're new to the world. You've got nothing to compare yourself to, and your parents protect you. You know, so they um, yeah, just doing their that's best. It. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so I didn't know anyway. So I had a Batman costume, but my Batman costume consisted of a black underskirt of my mother's that was cut in half, uh, that right. was safety pinned to my shoulder, <laughs> which I quite love because Batman's quite like a boy thing to dress up. But to do it, I was using my mum's undergarments, so it's got like yeah, yeah, subverting yeah, Batman it. <laughs> with a transvestite twist, which I'm, I'm kind of down for. Um, yeah, and so I had that cape on and a little paper mask, and uh, my granddad had this huge tweed coat, and that was um, I used to wear that. I used to put pegs on the end of the coat and go and stand in the flower bed and pretend to be a scarecrow. And I used to, I used to, um, there's also a photograph of me in the same coat with a little trilby hat on holding up a magnifying glass in some sort of effort to be a spy. And like, Amazing. yeah, if you go through all the, and I was photographed a lot because I was an only child until I was 10. So I was like the sole focus of the family's attention. Right. So yeah, my, my sister was born when I was 10 and my two cousins were born when I was nine, I think. So, so I, I was like the only child in the family until 10. So I've got all the, um, I've got all the endearing traits of an only child plus a sibling. So, <laughs> <laughs> how did you find that when you were? I mean, you were only ten. I know, uh, but do you know what? I don't do you know. Remember what that felt well, you know like? what I said earlier about how we're not uh, really aware of what's controlling our emotions or powering our actions. So I always think, no, I, I never kicked off when I was having, uh, when my sister was born, it was fine. I was happy to have her. It was like having a new toy. But on the day that she was born, I did wet myself on the ward and had to be like a fuss had to be made of me because I'd wet myself in oh, jeans. Of course. Yeah. So, Classic. Yeah. And so, so now I'm like, oh, I pissed myself for attention. <laughs> But at, the, <laughs> but at the time, I didn't know that's why I was doing it. I just did it because, you know, oh, dear. I mean, it is funny looking back. We like, I didn't realise we were poor. Well, not poor, but we, I didn't realise we didn't have a lot of money until I, I was doing a gig down in Devon and I went to where we used to go on holiday. Yeah. And I went, I rang my mum, I go, mum, I didn't realise we were that skin. No disrespect to anyone from Devon, but this particular area, like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I, so just but, this week know. I was looking at someone's Facebook and uh, it's uh, a 
you know, a, a friend, a, a sort of an acquaintance, you know, someone you acquire over the years. Yeah. And they they were saying on Facebook, oh, I, I fond memories of when I went on and I was in the beach on Barcelona and we'd, our interrail ticket finished the day before and we were looking for a flight to get us somewhere. And at the same age... I was, uh, we were saving up tokens out the sun to go to caravan parks for the weekend. And we went to one, which was a Pontins <laughs> in October, and there was a shitty nappy under one of the beds. That's so, uh, that's like, oh my yeah. God. It, but at the time, that's quite the, at yeah. the time, I was like, everyone goes to caravan parks with tokens from newspapers. And um, it's just in <laughs> adulthood, and especially in, you know, something like uh, comedy and theatre and entertainment, which is so predominantly middle class dominated. Because and my theory is, I've got nothing to support this up, this theory apart from the people I meet. But um, middle class people can afford to have free time, and when you start off early in comedy, it's unpaid. So, um, yeah. So I think working class people have to go out and get jobs. So they go out and get jobs, whereas middle class people can take time off to do comedy while their parents pay for their flats or whatever. So, um, yeah, so it's only yeah, been yeah. when you move into the arts and you meet more people and you start talking to them. And it's th- weird. So I'm thirty three. Uh, next month and it's only been in the last few years as well that I've called myself out on my own bullshit so I've realised that I spent my twen- <laughs> like if I speak to people from Yorkshire they'll go oh my god you sound so posh and then when I speak to people from down here they could go oh right so you're northern and I think that's like I spent 10 years trying to work away my accent out of shame do you know what I mean you sort of um, yeah you think, oh Christ, I'm going to say that wrong. I talk wrong. I don't this, that, and the other. I've got to try and keep up. And so um, it's only been in recent years that I've sort of looked back and gone, what the fuck was that about? Who was that for? <laughs> it's, it comes, it gets better with age. Uh, I, I'll tell you that. All right. Because I was the same when I started in comedy. And I've only, I started late. So I was like 32 when I started. Yeah. yeah I, I got told early on that uh, my accent, that, that it was too common yeah. and too working class. And they needed to, yeah. So and I, and I did start to round off the edges and trying to speak in this. I don't know what I don't know. God knows what it sounded like. But then later on, I'm like, what the fuck? This is just who I am. And it, and I know some stuff. I don't know some other stuff. I might get some words wrong, but this is who I am. So yeah, you know. And I don't know if that was the same with yeah, you. Yeah, no, the same. I like. I I enjoyed what you yeah. just said about rounding the edges because it's uh, it's true. And I I find that um, your vowels betray you. So like it's the, the it's the consonants <laughs> yeah, yeah. where you try and you know sort of adapt an accent, but then you'll always you know I've always said grass and bath and things like that. And, that's know. it. Yeah, always get let down on the soft bits. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's it. On the same, I know because sometimes I was talking to I, I did a used to do a bit about the fact that yeah I'm I am working class, but I was sort of oh, hang on oh, well, hang on a minute let's. Hang on a minute. Let me get rid of that. No, not now. Sorry about that. Right, go away. Um, oh my god, it's off. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Made by DarkHorseDigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production Sorry about that Sorry, Gareth, I, I do apologise I was, I was, I was sort of like, because we were working class But we were, like my dad's job was m- quite middle class So we were sort of in between Do you know what I mean? Well it, I don't know, know. The, weird, the, the, you know the boundaries yeah. of definition have changed And this is why I think there is so much um, There is so much squabbling about what is and isn't working class Like for example, I'm not going to name names But about a year or two ago There was a, a, a brochure made at the Fringe That was called uh, the Working Class Fringe And it was meant to showcase working class artists And I, I looked at this brochure yes. And I was like, you went to a fucking public school mate And like... <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but I think the boundaries on how we define um, class in this country have blurred because um, the 80s happened. Um, factories were shut down. Mills were shut down. Steelworks, mines, all the all the all these sort of like roll your sleeves up manual labor jobs went. That's and right, in their yeah. place were in, literally in the actual ground space, space where these places occupied, call centers were erected. And now people think and it, I I think it, I'm getting a little bit Marxist now, but I think it's a way. I think it's a way in which the uh, the bourgeoisie hoodwinks the the proletariat. They give them a desk and a stapler and a telephone, and all of a sudden people think they're middle class, whereas they are just cogs on a conveyor belt. They are just. Yeah, do you know right. what I mean? But um, but Absolutely, people think yeah. because they go to Marks and Spencers and get a meal for two for ten pounds that they're middle class now because they watch Cold Feet. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> it, so it's this. I had a conversation recently with some. Well, no, I say recently. It was the last guy I had dated, and I made some reference to me being working class, and he says because I work in entertainment and have, live in a flat on my own, I can't be working class. And that um, it's really deeper than that because, like this, you know, this crisis has happened. This um, this you know coronavirus lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. There is now no work. If I don't, if I don't continue working, my only option is to go to a supermarket or get that kind of a job or something. Do you know what I mean? You're always yeah, same. Yeah, same, you're always yeah, yeah. like that's you, you, so. But again, but people think because you're not, I don't know, maybe acting up to stereotype or because their their image of what a working class person is, um, because they, then they uh, they take you to task over it. So I've literally been looking at supermarket jobs mm. and driving yeah, yeah. jobs and and what would be stereotypical uh working class jobs mm. so yeah yeah it's at your core isn't it your that like who you and are also it's, it's, no but it's like it's a sensibility as well i think um yes i, I think that's um it's i i find and again <laughs> this is this is something that could be unraveled as soon as you pull the thread but in my personal experience people from working class backgrounds are far more generous than people from middle class backgrounds absolutely because yeah no yeah Working yes. class people will invite you into their home, cook for you, never want anything back from it. Whereas I've had posh mates round for dinner, and then they've asked me how much I owe, how much they owe me for the food after. Like every every penny's accounted <laughs> for, and every and so when That's when you, yeah. when you, so I think when you don't have anything, you're not you're not reared to respect it. So like I piss away yes. money like no one's business. I cannot hold on to it because I had no training in it because there wasn't any. It was. You no, know? yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast right now that are going, "That's horseshit." But you know, I can can only speak from my personal experience. Exactly, that is your experience. There is a there is a pride as well that that working class people seem to have. No disrespect to any middle class people that are listening. We we just this like we've already said. That's not our experience. There seems to be a pride as well, like making sure your house is clean. 
making sure you but know I just, it just seemed to be you know, what, you know, what's interesting as well though is that like I, I love that you just went like oh no disrespect to any middle class people because that's something else I find as well when you whatever your vantage comes from because I find this both as a working class person and as a gay person is that you're constantly trying to sort of appease and second guess people who are going to criticize you so um mm, so if yeah. I'm if I'm talking about something and I feel that I'm going to about into going to go into conversation territory that might be a bit gay I'll put signposts up that will apologize <laughs> to the straight right. people in the room I'll disguise it as a joke but you're you're appeasing people because you're waiting to be attacked for it so like yes. here here we are talking about our experiences as working class people and we feel the urge to go I mean no disrespect to any middle class people that are listening like <laughs> fuck them literally fuck them they've had enough yeah they've had enough <laughs> Uh, do you feel when you're Myra you could get away with yeah, that? Um, well, the th- the yeah, well, the thing is... You could say the things you would normally say. Um, no, I don't know, because I've, uh, I've never not said the things I think, which has been my biggest downfall. But I um, certainly with Myra, um, you can... Because Myra, because she's a sort of a, a, a character, I can attribute things to her. And I sort of... She's sort of like my... Um, puppet um with which i can do what i want um like she's existed for so yes. long now and she's so established that she's kind of watertight so if i want to um so for example at the moment myra does a weekly stream every wednesday in the form of a agony ant uh sort of a problem shared it's called and it's based on her experiences uh in wellness and mindfulness and so yeah oh, and yeah. that's because there's been a huge um swing towards people uh, being more aware of mental health this podcast for example and um and that's happened in recent years so i can sort of put on the myra costume and then poke fun at it you know and um, yeah 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 (laughs) in in a way that i probably again if i did that outside of the myra costume people would go who's this smug little arsehole whereas where as you put on a thing so myra (laughs) myra does very much she's very much born of working class culture she's based on the uh the the cabaret acts that i used to see because i used to work in a working men's club as a glass collector and um, okay. I used to watch all the acts that were on every night and um, take real... So there was one called um, Lorraine Crosby, I think she was called, and she sang the um, I Would Do Anything for Love with Meatloaf. And, um, yeah, oh, right, and yeah. it was, uh, it's uh, you know, it's all she would talk about. And she brought a band with her and she'd turn up and she'd <laughs> like, you know, she had these clothes on and I'd go, oh, my God, there goes a star. But she was walking across a car park in Rotherham. Do you know what I mean? So it was that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that that I really liked that kind of I don't want to say delusions of grandeur because that feels unfair to her. And it sounds like I'm being critical and it's not. It was nothing but affection I felt for this woman that was just living her best life <laughs> going from club to club. I I see those acts and I see the I love the posters yeah. in those old clubs and I and you see the acts and it it's all they have and they throw everything into it and yeah. it's so important to them and it's you go oh, do you know what that's amazing yeah. to that you're doing. Oh, that, I, lo- I loved you know? it. I loved the culture of it. There was, yeah. I remember there was one band that were a Guns N' Roses tribute band and they were called Guns N' Oatcakes, which I still don't understand. <laughs> what? Guns N' Oatcakes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, did they just look around the kitchen when they were coming up with a name and named the third? Oatcakes, that'll do. Oatcakes, that'll yeah. do. Guns N' Oatcakes. <laughs> the best one I saw was By Jovi. Oh, By that... <laughs> Oh, I loved it. That is a great... <laughs> but I look so I look so Myra sort of like is basically one of them, and then Frank is based on um, there's a you know there's always the committee man or the uh, the the manager he used to always call call the bingo and he'd introduce the acts and he was like the the sort of yes. voice and yeah, did you ever see uh, wheel tappers and shunters yeah I did yeah yeah, yeah so did, yeah. there was a, there was always the committee man on that and so so the Frank and Myra come from that universe which is. Um, very very welcome working class but Myra has delusions of grandeur so um she lives in Myra Towers which is you know it sounds like it's right. a detached property but it's not it's a <laughs> it's a former local authority flat in an undisclosed south london location and, and she <laughs> like she she has the grand vista balcony which is just a balcony and she she has these grand ways of talking about things and it's very very pretentious and a little bit high synth bouquet and you know and so um so Myra would never say anything Anything as direct as criticizing middle class people for having had enough, but I would have to communicate that message in some other way. Yeah, 
And Myra, it, this is the, I've said this before, the sign of a good character is when you talk about that character like it's a real mm, person. Mm. Like you're, when you're, you go, because oh, I, I, I've, had, I've had conversations with a mate of mine who does a, a character and you'd be talking about ideas and you're like, no, nah, but he wouldn't say yeah. that. That character wouldn't say that. And it, that must be the same with Myra. That is the, yeah. That, like, you've just, like you've just said, yeah. And what I enjoy, um, the, the difference I enjoy between Myra and Frank as well is that um, Frank's a very gentle soul. And um, he, he's, um, you know, he's come from the working men's club tradition and uh, where, yeah. you know, the, the material that the comics would do would always be, you know, racist and homophobic. Um, but he's, someone's put a stop on that at some point in his life and pointed out that it's not okay to be sexist. So Frank doesn't want to offend anyone and he's always second guessing himself and he's always getting himself into a fuddle. There's a line I have where um, where where he's talking about uh, the the a woman's voice on a tannoy system, and he says, uh, "I don't know if it's an actress." And then he corrects himself and goes, "No, you can't say actress anymore. No, uh, little woman actor. That's what it is." And it's that it's constantly trying to say the right thing and adhere to political correctness, but always sort of falling short a little bit. But what I love about that is that like he's very sort of caring and gentle, and because of that, quite endearing. And that's quite a sort of soft feminine energy. And then my, my the woman character that I have is aggressive and demanding and egotistical yeah. and all these traits that we would usually say a male and that wasn't a conscious decision that's just something that sort of organically happened as i've created these two personalities over the years but um but your friend is right you that very very they become so formed that you know exactly how they would respond to things and then so coming up with material for them becomes remarkably easy so like with myra I just need to go, all right, uh, Myra gets on a bus and meets a friend for a coffee in Sutton and uh, then goes for a Chinese. What happens? And you can sort of, because uh, yeah. you sort of, um, uh, you, know, you know, you just sort of how she would respond to those scenarios and things. I don't know. It makes writing material quite easy. Yeah. And, she, and Myra's not a drag act, is it? I mean, yeah, but... uh, she she is a drag act in the, uh, in the way that she is, um, it's... Uh, for want of a better term, cisgendered man uh, playing a cisgendered woman. So she's certainly born of, you know, pantomime dames. Like, oh, I, 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 well, I still do love panto. I, I do panto every year and I used to go to pantos right, every yeah. year. And um, so Myra is born of panto. She's a panto dame. But um, but I don't, uh, she doesn't acknowledge that she's played by a man. So in the same way that, um, no. in the same way that Gail Platt doesn't know that she's played by Helen Worth, Myra Dubois does not know that she's played by Gareth Joyner. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see. So, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's it, the only the, the only time I usually find I, I have to make this distinction is because um, because Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, has become so popular over the last ten years um, that mm. it now becomes the prism through which people view men in dresses. And so, um, so when people are interviewing me, if they don't know me or they don't know Myra, they will often bring that framework of references to the table. So they'll start going at yas and fierce and all this, that, and the other. <laughs> Whereas, like a more accurate, a more accurate comparison for Myra would be when Monty Python do drag. You know, it, yes. um, th there's yes. more Terry Jones to Myra than there is RuPaul. I think. Yeah. So usually, when uh, whenever I uh, so I, I I ban the word drag in every press release, and I don't. I won't do it. Myra won't talk about drag. And whenever Myra, whenever a, a journalist or something starts asking her about drag, Myra, um, the line I always use is, uh, "It's a sad, it's a sad, it's a sad symptom of misogyny in 2020 that people can't see a successful woman without assuming there's a man behind it." And uh, <laughs> and it just sort of shuts the conversation down, you know. But um, so yeah, that's the only reason I sort of. Uh, you have to be a bit more emphatic. No one ever brings it up with Frank. You know, no one ever go. No one ever. People as soon as people see Frank, they go, "Oh, well, that's someone playing a character." And uh, with Myra, people go, yeah. "Oh, RuPaul's Drag Race." So it's just sort of one of those unfortunate things that's happened since they came yeah. up with Myra. I didn't really know much about the drag world until I met Jade, yeah. and now she's introduced me to so many, so many people, and it, it, it the, like RuPaul, like you say, isn't. It doesn't really show you what the drag world is really like. No. It's 
You know? No, it doesn't. It's a, but then again, it's because RuPaul's Drag Race is a brand and a, a very um, a very well protected brand, and it, it almost as much as McDonald's or Disney. And, uh, oh, really? and what they're interested in is selling the brand. They're not interested in selling drag. Talking about representing different kind of drag is just part of the the guff. Just what they want. To, it's part of the image, mm. but they don't actually. Yeah. RuPaul will always will always win. It will always be. His RuPaul songs that are advertising, and you know, yeah, yeah. What I like is that then that that there's a whole world out there that when people discover it, it just is like, holy shit, this is incredible. I know that's how I felt oh, yeah. being taken to gigs, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This is the yeah. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life, and it, it was it was it was yeah. I don't have the words to describe it. Even it was just. This phenomenal world and everybody, this put the, I don't know. This is party. This whole community of people supporting each other yeah. was incredible. Mm. You know, that's what it seemed to me on the well, surface. So I imagine there's other stuff going on, but no, it's uh, it's interesting to hear because I don't have that perspective because um, I kind of like that. Like like you say, you're people supporting each other. When you're sort of growing up queer, um, it it becomes um, you find your own sort of tribe because um, like we've been talking a lot about growing up working class and, you know, uh, and mm. how that feels and stuff. If you throw being gay into the mix as well as that, um, you, you sort of get it from all angles. So the expect so like, I mean, I'm sure it's different now. But growing up, you never saw gay people on the television. You know, there, there was never no. any sort of acknowledgement of it uh, and anything like that. So you sort of you get to 16 or 17 and then all of a sudden you're itching to find the people you're into. And when when I was in my mid-teens, it was Rocky Horror that I was really into. And that's, oh, course, that's yeah. where I got my fix. So I was, you know, I was uh, watching that all the time. I used to go around to my friend Colette's house and her mum Sharon was an old goth. So we used to dress up in her old goth clothes Brilliant. and watch Rocky Horror and drink Alco Pops. And um, <laughs> Did you know you were gay from an early age or did that... Yeah, but again... When you're a child, you have no other, um, you, you have no knowledge of any other kind of existence to compare yourself to. So I remember being 10 and at school and we had sex education, but like one of the very early lessons of it. And we were t- taken into yes. a room and as well. So they took, you know, they told us things like, oh, you're about to, you know, you're going to wake up with a bit of stickiness in your pants, just a heads up. And um, but they also said, oh, in, over the next couple of years, you're going to start noticing girls. And I went, all right, OK. And that was when I was about 10. And then when I got to about 13, right. I was like, is any any minute? Is it coming? Is it? I don't you know, yeah, I, right. I was waiting for it to happen. Meanwhile, I remember being six years old and totally besotted with Dean Kane as Superman. And um, oh. <laughs> and this is the thing yeah. with these schools uh, in Birmingham that were doing the No Outsiders project, and then they got all those protesters saying that children shouldn't be learning about this. It was an, it would be an absolute godsend for children as young as six to know that oh no, that's that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course, oh absolutely. Kids, yeah. kids, whether we like to admit it or not, kids have sexual yearnings, and like I remember being six years old and being very, very, very attracted to Dean Kane. You know, and so like children, yeah. children need to know that those feelings are going to come, and they might come at any age. You know, they might come younger, they might come older, but yeah. uh, that those feelings are going to come. So I didn't know I was gay, but. Um, but I didn't know what gay was. I just knew I was me. Of course, yeah. So the first time I remember the phrase gay was that there was a storyline on Home and Away and Helen Helen Ramsey's granddaughter. This is this is how important a moment it was. I'd have been about six years old and I can remember deta- I can remember what the living room looked like when it happened. I remember what time of day it was. <laughs> I know I'd just finished school. I know it was still daylight outside because um, the... Helen Helen um, Ramsey's granddaughter fancied someone and said to someone, oh, I'm going to go ask him out. And then her friend said to her, you can't, he's gay. And I said to my mum, what's gay? And she said, oh, it's when boys like other boys. And I remember thinking, oh, that's me. And that's like, oh, wow. and just identifying with that uh, at six years of age. And so... Uh, Incredible. Those, those, those moments were pivotal. But I think people need to... Talking about people, talking about uh, sexuality in schools is so important, and not and not just for 
you know, people who are gay and, and whatever else. But for the people that are, like, for straight people to understand that it, it isn't just, there aren't just straight people. Oh, yeah. When I grew up, it was just like, everybody's straight. This is what you do. Yeah. This is your life. And yeah, we don't talk about all them because they're odd. Yeah. That was, that seems to be. So it needs to, so everybody is educated all, on it you know, and has more understanding. That's you know? it. We're all in the same society. And um, so yeah. you were getting those messages and I was also getting those messages. And then when you start to have feelings that contradict those messages, the self-loathing that that then follows, uh, it, it can, well, it can be fatal. I mean, you know, the, mm, yeah. the statistics uh, with suicide are Amongst young LGBT people, um, I mean, I don't have them to hand, but they're out there. Um, no, they're horrifying. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, so yeah, you you need to that. But people don't like. I think where people struggle is that they don't like the word sexuality being around used around children because uh, the connotations no. are sort of carnal lust and you know a sort of lasciviousness. No. And that's not it. It's yeah. just a biological reaction that's happening in the human body. Yes. You know. Um, exactly. So people and those moments growing up when they're when you they were a big deal they shouldn't have been, but they were like they see the first gay kiss in Brookside, yeah. and then uh, and then you had queer as folk came out in the nineties uh, that and nearly every yeah I'd never seen you know but it was so, it was like they were like instead of just being uh, part of the part of the thing it was like this is happening it was like a do you know yeah. what I mean? They made a bigger deal of it. And it's really, um, it's a real rite yeah. of passage with uh, uh, LGBT people my age. We all, everyone admits to each other that they watch Queer as Folk with volume down. Like, uh, it, yeah, yeah, in some secluded wow. room. But, no, it is. And um, I forgot my train of thought there. I don't know. It was whatever I was going to say. It was profound and important. <laughs> Sorry, I distracted you. No, you didn't. No, I was just, ch- just chatting, aren't we? But... but it is that. It's that growing up, you're told to be a certain way. You have to fit into mm. this. And you know, and if you don't, then, you know. It's, yeah, and cool. I think it, it, there's a two, another, another sort of side effect of this. And I think this affects, well, it must, it must affect straight men as well as gay men. But um, I I find it incredibly hard to identify with men. Like I, when people talk about men on the news, or when people talk about men or conversations, or you know, um, especially over the um, the last few years. I mean, I don't know who does the PR for men, but they've had a rough few years. And they, <laughs> when I hear men talked about, I feel like it's someone else. I think it's like another tribe. It's like them. Because from a very young age, it has been very clearly communicated to me that I am doing being a boy wrong. And I remember, yeah. I remember there was, inst- and it sounds so stupid to say it now. And it's, it's that I remember being around, um, maybe I'd have been about four, very young anyway. And I'd gotten it into my head that I wanted a toy kitchen. And um, I was told I wasn't allowed a toy kitchen because that was a girl's toy. And in the end, I, I wow. got a toy barbecue um, because that was that was acceptable <laughs> toy for a boy. I know. And and then I remember my Aunt Brenda, um, who uh, was my, my granddad's sister, so my great Aunt Brenda, she bought me an umbrella and it was blue, but it had little bows on it, a pattern printed with little right. bows on it. And I remember there was a, like a, a crisis conversation took place where my Aunt Brenda was taken into the kitchen and my mum and my nan, I think, had a conversation about this is not appropriate. It's a fucking umbrella. What? It's a fucking... fucking <laughs> and hell. so you absorb all of this. And then, of course, there's little four-year-old me, five-year-old me sitting there going, but I like the umbrella. And if I like the umbrella and I'm not supposed to like the umbrella, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? And, um, yeah. and like, you, you sort of yeah. grow up. And I remember the first time I saw Rocky Horror, I was about 12, and I absolutely loved it. But I remember really t- telling not just myself but everyone around me my favorite character was brad though because everyone else is a transvestite and i don't like that uh <laughs> it's, it's oh it's such bullshit and um and and it absolutely blows my mind i did as i said already i do panto and i did panto in leeds uh last year and uh myra was playing uh it was sleeping beauty and myra was playing carabos the villain uh which is the the oh, non-Disney yeah. name for her. Uh, she's Maleficent in the <laughs> Disney universe. And um, there was uh, these... So at the end of a panto, there's something called the song sheet where the guy playing the comic invites kids up on the stage and they all have a sing-song together. 
And uh, one of the kids that got upstage was a little boy dressed as Maleficent. And um, and oh, wow. he was going, oh, my favourite character's Maleficent. And I was stood on the wings in my finale costume waiting to go on for the last bow. And uh, and Jez, who was playing the comic, was going, oh, so is Carabos your favourite? And, you know, chatting and everything like that. And he kept saying, Where, where's Maleficent? I want to meet Maleficent. And in the end, I had to go out onto the stage and meet this little <laughs> kid and everything. And it was really sweet. And then afterwards, we said, oh, hang around afterwards and we'll do photos backstage. And so the parents came back with this little boy and he was photographed with me, dressed as Maleficent. And the parents... Uh, like I like, I, and as soon as they went, like a floodgate opened, and I was in tears for about twenty solid minutes because I just could not wrap my head around that little boy being allowed to dress as Maleficent just because he wanted to. Like there was no, Amazing. there was no crisis meeting. There was no whipping them off to the kitchen to talk about what costumes were appropriate for little boys or something. So, and yeah. the, and then you get to school, and fucking hell, if there's anything worse than adults, it's other children. So you, you go to school, and then it was <laughs> yeah. communicated through school that I wasn't doing being a boy right. So I was quite happy listening to my Oliver soundtrack. But oh no, you have to like basketball because I was tall. So I was thrown into <laughs> sports, and I couldn't. You know, that was yet another sort of way in which I was told that, no, you're doing being a boy wrong. So, um, yeah, I can't even remember how we got onto this now, but I've, you've opened up a floodgate, Rich, because uh, <laughs> ranting and <laughs> ranting and I ranting. Love this. Well, you can't afford therapy while <laughs> well, we're the... not working, so this will have to do, won't it? <laughs> well, this is the point of the podcast. We just have a chat mm. and, and whatever comes out, comes out. Oh, and it, it's, it's, but that is like it. therapy. Have you done therapy? Yeah. Oh my God, you, you have, start talking yeah. and you think to yourself, and that's another thing I got working class guilt with as well. I was like, why, how can you afford to waste money on a therapist? Um, but fucking hell, you, so I went in, so because so, my mum died when I was about 16. And so I went into this, oh, sorry, uh, that's all right, you didn't do it. And I went into this <laughs> meeting and uh, meeting, I went into this meeting with a therapist and I thought, well, it's going to be obvious, isn't it? This is all going to be about uh, my dead mum. No, I started talking and it was all, it was all about <laughs> people, like relatives who were alive and well today and who I thought I had a good relationship. And I'm like, fuck me, I've been kept, keeping this bottled up for all that time. Yeah, we had, I've, I've had counselling before on my own. Jade and I have been, have had counselling yeah. and it, you, you, yeah, things I thought were fine. Yeah. Uh, actually, as we get into it, they, and it's taken other people to go, Rich, that isn't fine. Yeah. What was happening to you isn't fine. And you go, oh, I thought it was fine. I thought I was all right with it. And yeah, talk about other things that. Like you've just said, I thought that was the problem. No, it turns out it was this other thing. Mm. Uh, well, again, this is the third time I'm sort of I'm coming back to the same point. So it, maybe it's been a bit of a thread of this conversation. But when you're growing up, you don't know that anything else exists. You know, so like I, I got to um, I it was only start when I started therapy two years ago that I realized that not every not everyone's parents argued and not every household had shouting in it and not every household had violence in it. Like I thought that's just how yeah, parents right. communicated. And it was, a, it took a therapist to go, Gareth, that's child abuse. And I was like, fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's how it yeah, was. I just thought that was parenting. Yeah. I thought, you know, Jesus Christ. So, Isn't it funny? Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Utterly bizarre. <laughs> and we'll get it all figured out and we'll get it all figured out and then we'll fucking die. That'll be it. It's, well, that's it's, that's this... the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, isn't yeah. it? There was. I've said this before on here, is that I, when I realised, very recently actually, that there isn't a destination, mm. there's just life. Yeah. And you learn and you try and be the best version of yourself as you go along. Yeah. And then one day you're not doing it anymore. Yeah. And, it, and it's... It's odd. It's an odd one. Again, with absorbing societal messages as well. Like I said, I'm just sort of just turning 33. So I'm just entering into what I would call legitimate adulthood. Like I think when you're a, a gay teenager, there is some arrested development because you have to keep yourself so secret and so to yourself that you don't develop. Like, you know, you probably had like, oh, really? you probably had girlfriends at school. That wasn't an option to be until yeah. like at 18. And like, so, so you sort of spend your twenties having an adolescence that you were robbed of. And, um, so I would say now as I'm entering my sort of mid thirties, um, I'm sort of starting to actually sort of develop into actual adulthood. And so I'm starting to look across 
and go, they own their home, they have a baby, they're in a relationship, and I'm single and renting a flat. And so I start to tell myself, like, oh my God, Gareth, what are you doing with your life? You are such a failure. But actually, like, I've just come back from doing a run of a solo show at the Sydney Opera House. So why uh, why aren't I content with that do you know what i mean unlike uh, yeah you know, i've got a, like you i've s- got a 27 day uk tour coming up hopefully fingers crossed but like i've got a 27 <laughs> uk tour coming up i've just been to the other side of the world to present work on an Im- and i'm not saying this to be show off or, or be a knob no of course but not. i'm saying like why aren't i finding contentment within that i'm still looking at people with houses and babies going oh i failed because i've not done that because of societal yeah, views isn't yeah. it it's that way you have because you have to be a consumer yeah. and you have to be part of the system and you have to do you have to live your life the way you're supposed to live and this is how you live it you meet you go to school mm. and then you 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 meet people and you get a job doesn't matter what job you get just as long as you've got a job yeah. because you're going to meet someone and then you're going to have kids and then you're going to die and that's your life and that's how you should live your yeah, life it's, and it's bullshit it it's absolute bullshit <laughs> uh, just so we're all tapping into the system we're all part of this bollocks system a system that we've now seen is will just collapse if one person licks a bat <laughs> well i will i'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the aftermath of this because there's lots of i mean it depends what your social media sphere looks like because i'm friends with a lot of left-wing people because i'm a very left-wing person so mm, my yeah. facebook at the moment is full of people saying we cannot go back to how things were before it wasn't working look you know if you're able i mean was i think i read on the news yesterday that they've housed 90 percent of all rough sleepers and someone wow. yeah and someone was going if you can house 90% of all rough sleepers during a pandemic then you can house 90% of rough sleepers so why weren't you housing rough sleepers before and this feels exactly. this feels like yeah. this is now the normal and we will now house rough sleepers and that's what my echo chamber of social media is telling me but who knows what the landscape will look like i think we'll just snap back to how things were before because people have short memories absolutely yeah as as much as that that, that horrifies me <clears throat> i think it will yeah. i think well, i think that's what they that's what it, they seem to be hanging on to on the brief moments i've looked at the news mm. they're all they're all they're more worried about businesses oh, and, yeah. and the and the economy rather than they are of people which is probably why boris and everybody took so long to shut things down yeah. Because they were just more worried about the economy rather than you know, people's lives, which is just shit. But it's it's what they know, isn't it? You know, it's um, yeah, yeah exactly. you know Boris Johnson going into the hospital with the uh, the old uh, coronavirus. That's probably the first time he's been treated by NHS staff. Isn't it? I don't know. I True. don't know. It's probably yeah, the first time. So. so, like uh, these these things that they they control have just been abstract concepts to them for for so long. So. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's quite... Imagine what that must be like, waking up your first time in an NHS hospital. That that nurse must have been looking at that bed, <laughs> looking at the life support and thinking, oh, if I just if I just said, oh, I was looking for a charger, needed to charge my phone, pulled out the wrong bed. <laughs> oh, all it would take is... I'd, I'd go through a tribunal for this. <laughs> oh. I actually got... I got... I got... Uh, got some shit luckily I was pissed and it was late at mm. night so I didn't get too much grief but I just all I said on I said on Twitter I said I'm just struggling a bit to to be to give a shit about Boris being That's ill mental isn't it I know and I got so much shit and I and then I got it because some people go oh if you're you know you're wishing illness on people you're as bad as them and blah 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 I'm like ah oh. and I I realized I didn't have I didn't it wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't have a problem with him being ill because I don't wish that on anybody. But I, I had more of a problem with the hypocrisy of people. One minute it's like Boris Johnson's the biggest wanker going, and now it's all let's clap for oh. Boris. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't clap for the NHS one day and then Boris well, the next. Well, I think That's like insane. I said earlier in this conversation, where we signpost things to try and appease people. So we say to you know, oh, nothing against middle class people. It's the same if as if mm. you say. I don't wish, because I did the same thing. I said, you know, I can't remember what my hot take on Facebook was. Everyone had one. But um, <laughs> but I, I'd started it with, 
obviously I want Boris Johnson to get as well as possible, as quick as possible. What I didn't say, what I said in a private chat to my, my comrade left-wing mates was that, because if he dies, he'll be a fucking martyr and Brexit will be in his mm. honour and he'll be, you know, there'll be statues and yeah. all sorts. So I said, I want him to live so he can be held accountable for this. But... um I don't think that'll happen either. I don't, I just, the elasticity of the establishment to protect itself, uh, I I think we underestimate it. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, Oh, hello. It's the government, they're onto us. (laughs) Oh my God. God. (laughs) Russia tipped them off. See, nothing happened. Whose smoke alarm is that? That's our mine. They're they're cooking. I thought I heard frying in the background. Yeah. These cunts on work I'm living with. Oh dear. Unbelievable. Have a quiet sandwich. <laughs> it's all right. They're, um, it's funny, isn't it? No alarms went off when we were talking about being gay. No, no alarms Progress. went on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Thank God for that. <laughs> thank God. Um, this has been brilliant, Gareth. Thank you so much for joining no, us. No, thank you. I, it's been, I've really enjoyed it. never turned down an opportunity to talk about myself. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. I love it. Because this is the thing with the podcast. It's all about the guests. So when people come on and, and chat away, I'm like, yeah, fine. Brilliant. <laughs> Because I'm learning, I'm learning. People listening are learning from from what gets said, and this has been excellent. Where can we find you, Gareth? Oh, uh, well, I've got a website, GarethJoiner.com. Uh, Myra's got a website, MyraDubois.co.uk. Frank's got a website, FrankLavender.com. So uh, any of those three things will, will bring you to to my material. Hopefully, there'll be a UK tour in October, but let's see if there is theatre and culture then. <laughs> I'm sure. Hopefully, yeah. there will. <laughs> And hopefully I'll get to see you and have a big hug. Yeah, all right, love. Well, I'll yeah, just that. that's always lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Thanks, Gareth. All right, love. Been a, look after yourself. Yeah. And I'll speak to you, you soon. Sure, love. Insane in the membrane. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.